welcome to the 192nd installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's podcast on family farming, sustainable agriculture, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. Olaf Haugen sees a direct link between the number of microorganisms in his soil and the pounds of milk in his bulk tank. Haugen, who's in his early 30s, milks a 180-head dairy cow herd in southeastern Minnesota's Fillmore County. He rotationally grazes his herd and estimates 70% of his animal's diet is derived from either perennial pasture grasses or annual cover crops such as grazing corn and rye. Such a high reliance on forages means he must pay extremely close attention to how well various species of grasses and forbs are doing under a variety of weather conditions throughout the growing season. And Olaf has seen an intimate link between high organic matter in his soils and more resilient forages, which in turn results in more milk and a better financial bottom line. Cover crops, which Olaf refers to as annual forage sources, have become a key tool for not only extending the grazing season, but taking pressure off his perennial pastures. The more vegetation his cows are eating out on the land, the less hay and other purchased feeds Olaf is hauling to the animals. That's money in the bank. Olaf has been participating in a pasture project initiative involving groups like the Land Stewardship Project, which is monitoring the soil health impacts of grazing cover crops. Haugen utilizes mob grazing a kind of rotational grazing system that puts high numbers of animals in a paddock for a short amount of time. When the cattle are moved, they leave behind manure, urine, and often a good percentage of the forage that was present. But he and other farmers who use this system don't feel they're wasting feed by moving the animals frequently. In fact, all that uneaten forage that was stomped into the ground by the bovine's hooves is feeding a kind of subterranean herd made up of all those microorganisms and other critters that inhabit the soil universe. Olaf is finding that this interaction between cattle, forage, and soil is not only helping him reduce a major expense, but it's also alleviating his farm's impact on the land. That's important in a part of Minnesota that's dominated by hilly, highly erodible acres, which are underlaid with a limestone karst geology that allows contaminants on the surface to have easy access to groundwater. The land's environmental vulnerability gives the farmer one more reason to build the kind of healthy soil that stays in place while managing water infiltration in an efficient and safe manner. I recently visited Olaf Haugen's farm, and we talked about the relationship between healthy soil, a healthy bank account, and healthy land. So, Olaf, you have really made it a focus of your operation to tie in soil health and profitability. You don't really see those as separate. One doesn't, uh, I guess, take a backseat to the other. You really seems like you really try to integrate those two, two things. For me, the, the soil health is key to growing forage, and forage is what I use to put milk in the tank. And so the more forage I can grow, the more profitable I'm going to be. And so that is where soil health is, is paramount to profitability. As far as focusing on that, it's not a one-day operation or two-day operation. It takes years to build soil health. And it takes time to really see the, the connection between peril, or the connection between soil health and profitability. But if you have poor soils, you'll have poor forages, you'll have a poor checkbook. And it kind of goes the other way, too. If you have good soils, it should be profitable, and you'll have a good checkbook. And it, it just takes time and experience to, to draw, draw those two together. You really are, like, for example, you're, you know, there's a lot of people who do a rotational grazing, but you're doing the kind of the high-density type of rotational grazing, and you're integrating annual well, I was calling them cover crops, but you're, it, you call uh, what was it, annual, annual forage sources, which I like that. But talk a little bit about how that, because that's a way of lowering your 
feed costs, but building your soil health at the same time. Right. There's there's two different things with, with the annual forage source. It uh, spreads my, my growth out of my forages. Um, typically, if you have a, a 100% perennial pasture, you're going to get 40 to 50% of your growth between May and June, which is fine if you're making hay, but if you're trying to graze everything, it's hard to graze that May growth in August um, on a perennial pasture. So these annual forages can, can stockpile that forage that would be growing in May and June. Well, it is growing in May and June, um, but you're not going to harvest it until late June, July. Uh, so it's a way to even out that grass curve. Um, the other thing that annual forage does is because of the high yield density, it allows you to put a lot of animals on there at harvesting. We stock typically three to four times higher stock density harvesting those annuals versus a perennial pasture. And there has been some research done that shows the higher stocking densities can help build soil fertility and, and soil health. I guess uh, the overall kind of thing here is is one thing that I look at also is if you have poor soils, the best thing you can do is overstock them because you're going to increase your animal units. And even if you can't grow enough forage to, to support all those animals, you then bring in nutrients in the form of supplemental forages or supplemental feeding. Um, and that's going to help build that soil. Because if you, if you have light stocking densities on poor soil, you're really never going to build them up. The way that you're able to do this is you're really managing pretty closely that you're it's a pretty intense management system where you're moving the cattle frequently, you're relying on, you know, portable fencing, that kind of thing. Yeah, correct. Being, being a grazing dairy farm, uh, we have a very easy opportunity to move those cows to new paddocks every 12 hours. So after every milking, they're moving to a different paddock or a different piece of that field or strip that, you know, might be the same, might be the same field, but they're on different ground or different pasture every 12 hours. And the portable fencing is, is something that makes that very feasible, very um, easy to do. And without it, it would be a lot more difficult. One really good point I think you made was talking about trying to really keep your profit profitability consistent and keep your uh, costs down and all that is, if you were more relying on stored feed, you know, you said some way, sometimes that that can be much more expensive, maybe twice as expensive as being more uh, based on that feed that's out in the field and that the cattle are going out harvesting it themselves plus they're uh, disposing of their manure <laughs> and they're urine themselves you're not you don't have to go back then and invest in the facilities and the time and the effort to dispose of that talk a little bit about that I think that's a really it's kind of a no duh kind of thing but man that gives you a lot more flexibility especially at times now like right now where milk prices are not so good it gives you a little bit more flexibility as far as what is I get I gather is your biggest expense which is feed right on on uh, this this grazing dairy anyway you know my, my two biggest expenses are feed and labor and as the milk price fluctuates that is one thing that that we can try and mitigate our costs is is on the feed end pretty easily so if we can stay away from stored feeds that is that is huge stored feeds are going to be at least twice twice as expensive to feed and then yeah like as you said not only disposing of the manure um, if you're if you're feeding them in a confinement setting um, but then also so you, you you've got your feed stored you now now have to take it from your storage place and go put it in front of the cow there's another step and, and additional labor additional costs and at times additional equipment if you want to go that route in, in the feeding process alone so that's where if, if we can move the cow to the grass we can save a lot of money 
and, and mitigate some of these these price shocks in the market and and survive these these lean times. I know it's early in the process, and you, as you said, it takes patience and time to build that soil health. And you've been doing some research in collaboration with Land Stewardship Project on some land that you're kind of revitalizing with some cover cropping and grazing. But no, I know that you had said it. It you know one thing you've learned and, and figured out is it takes time. It's not that immediate gratification you get when you just add fertilizer. It, you have to, it takes time to build that soil health. And you've been doing some research with, in collaboration with Land Stewardship Project along those lines, and we haven't gotten all those results back yet. But you've noticed kind of, like you said, anecdotally, things like water infiltration has gotten better, that kind of thing. Those are the kind of things that are really key if farmers can start to see that stuff and then maybe go, okay, well, this this is working. Maybe I'll try more of that. Yeah, on, on our project that we're in collaboration with with land stewardship program as you said it's early yet we've only got two years of data there two years of experience i think we're starting to see some improvements in soil health but it it takes time you know we, we do see some infiltration that looks like it's getting better uh you know these heavy rains we had this last year we didn't see near the runoff or oh ditches created in the waterways you know like like what was across the neighbors but there too that ground is no till where the other one's conventional tilled so you know you, you got to look at look at all the variables in, in the whole thing as far as on the dairy here you know we, we do see incredible infiltration rates you know we, we get these big rains and, and you just do not see any water coming off the hillsides and and we do have hills here i mean there's there's nothing flat they're they're steep hills and, and that is something i do remember when i was younger we did see more water running off and, and i think after 20 years of, of rotational grazing, we're, we're seeing good results in the, in the soil building, infiltration, that kind of stuff. I think we got a long ways to go in these soils yet, but I, I think we're in the right direction. Yeah, I just, I, that's a really good point about this farm. I mean, driving up here, and I've been here before, and you, I think it's about 230 acres here on this home place, and you said maybe 80 is not considered highly erodible. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm thinking it's, it's like 80 or 100 that, that you could qualify as tillable ground. You know, and, and the rest is, yeah, just extremely highly erodible ground. So anything you can do to keep that soil in place, keep that water infiltration, and keep that runoff is just key. So it's good to see some of the stuff you're doing here. For more on the Land Stewardship Project's work related to helping farmers build healthy soil in economically viable ways, see our website at landstewardshipproject.org. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org, or you can call 612-722-6377. Thanks to Laura Borgendale, Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member... Visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening.